0: To the corner this ball is gone for a home run. Nationals on top. Howie Kendrick has made it 3-2 off the pole and right.
1: What's up, everyone? It's your boy Nick again. Amanda is off celebrating a World Series win in Budapest. Of all things, uh, I mean, congrats to her. She planned her World Series uh, celebration very promptly uh, at the a, after Game Seven. Um, almost got it too close. She had the Nats winning in six, so it kind of makes sense that she planned her uh, her trip on the day of game 7 but she pushed it back because she's that much of a nats fan. So she's off with her family celebrating Budapest so we wish her safe travels. But it is me, Nick, joined by Ryan as always. Uh you can follow us at DC Jack. You can follow Amanda at a white 7877 and of course follow the show at Half Street High Heat. Um but Ryan, I mean nothing big going on recently,
2: right? No, I mean Nothing big at all. I mean, Carlos Beltran's the Mets manager. He uh, gave his kid a pat in the butt today and he threw himself to the floor and started crying. So just more omens for the Mets. (laughs) Um, Phillies keep going after the big name people instead of trying to build a team. Uh, They got Girardi as their manager. Oh, the Marlins. The Marlins have the number four farm system, but besides that—wow,
1: I, I forgot they were a team.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I really can't think of anything that happened this week that's no. uh, major news.
1: Me neither. Um, and we purposely skipped over the Braves because there's definitely nothing notable going on there. Yeah, um, there. Okay, but let's rewind for a second. We're gonna take the first. However long it goes, we're, we're just going to speak freely, but we're just this first part of the po- podcast, and we're going to do something we don't normally do, and we're just going to go complete homer, complete geek out over the World Series win, because obviously it's a big freaking deal. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I I can only say that as pessimistic as I'm sure all of you have known me to be throughout the course of the season and even throughout the playoffs— I I just truly didn't expect this to ever happen, and especially not this soon. I thought the Nats completely wasted their opportunity, and I thought the window was all but closed. And they proved me wrong, and I'm very happy to be wrong. And it, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, I went to the parade, and it it was awesome. Threw Grant Paulson a beer; he caught it, chugged it, no big deal. Um, come on the pod, but it it yeah, come on the pod, please. Um it's it's exhilarating, but I'm also speechless because I just I didn't think we would be here at all.
2: Yeah, I mean I got I started to get ill during game seven of the World Series. Um it became my game seven. Um but <laughs> Ryan like, flu game. <laughs> I sat at home cheering while sick, so who's more of an athlete? Me or Bo Jackson? You be the judge. It's just like it's one of those things that, like, for all of your teams, like I said, you don't really think, like, this is going to happen for you. Like, look at the freaking year they had and the fact that they went through everything they did, all the off-season drama, all the headlines, the drama during the season. The team never freaking quit. They were the biggest underdogs in 13 years in the World Series. They were going up against a freaking juggernaut. They were, quote-unquote, dead. And they prevailed in literally the most dramatic fashion as always, which we'll touch up more on in a little bit. But mm-hmm. what a freaking time to be alive, baby. The Nats are World Series champs. And I am never going to live this down. Because he, here's here's the best part. Besides the Nats winning the World Series, which is probably a top five moment in my life now, um, <clears throat> no one can talk, talk crap anymore. We don't have to hear any more stupid win-the-playoff series jokes from Braves fans who have their own playoff disappointments. Mm -hmm. We are kings of the baseball world. We will win every single argument over every team for the entire year and over the Braves until the Braves win a playoff series or win a World Series. So just soak that in, everyone. We are kings. This is the top.
1: It, It just... It's unreal. Like without a doubt top 5 moment in my life as well. Uh I mean cuz obviously I know the same is for you like baseballs our number one sport and we've just we've been conditioned whether I mean to no one's fault but the Nats we've been conditioned to be pessimistic about them just because of constant failure and disappointment. Um but the spelling some,
2: the name wrong on the jersey.
1: Right. <laughs> I mean at some point during the season, I'm not sure when the Nats became this team of destiny and they completely took over. And I mean, I think straw said it best and it, it just at some point that juggernaut runs into the buzzsaw saw. And this year the Nats were that Buzzsaw. saw the juggernaut was the Astros. Like Ryan, you said, they're one of the heaviest favorites in a world series in over a decade. Um, And the Nats did the quite literally the unthinkable and they won every single game on the road. Never been done in any of the major sports like in the Nats did it. The most improbable World Series win ever, whether it's the odds or how they did it. Um, And I'll give credit to the people who didn't like lose faith and said, blah, blah, blah. This team's still good. I still think you're kind of full of crap at certain points during the season, but obviously you can't argue with the results. So credit to you. I was not one of you. I was very pessimistic. Even through the trade deadline, I thought they should have sold. Clearly I was wrong. I'm happy I was wrong. Uh, I thought after the Bryce Harper departure, not necessarily losing Bryce in particular, but losing that heavy of a threat in the lineup was going to sink us. Because as great as Soto and Rendon were all year, you need more than just two hitters in your lineup to to prevail, but at certain points it was Howie and other points it was like Eaton and uh sometimes Zim. There was always that third guy stepping up and it was kind of just like a rotational like third guy but with Rendon and Soto to get us over the hump and then obviously our pitching was superb and i mean i i, I just I think. Come game six, the Astros really got scared. That's just truly how it felt. I mean, obviously, when you're going up against Strasburg and then you hear Max Scherzer's healthy and he's going to face you game seven, it just really felt like the Astros, if they weren't intimidated, they were feeling the pressure and the pressure got to them. Um, And, I mean, they played a hell of a series, credit to them, but the Nats... Earn this through and through they did not look their way into it and it just feels great it feels so great and I hope this never wears off I mean flags fly forever baby but whew, it, it it truly is I like just fly forever. I mean obviously winning world series is the pinnacle of uh, baseball and of our Nats fandom but it just it's just crazy. Like, this is the best time ever to be a Nats fan. It's the first World Series we've overcome so much, and it's just – it truly is awesome. And um, I think that's a, a good time to segue into just how unreal the Nats were this this uh, postseason. And, I mean, we can talk about it all day long and all off season, and all of next season too, but – uh, Ryan, I, I know you have stats to actually back up how just damn good they were, so why don't you uh, grace us with those?
2: Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> you always heard me call this the most improbable run in like baseball. The fact they're in nineteen thirty one, the fact that they played over six hundred ball the entire year, and all that stuff. But now I have a bunch of facts that show that not only this is the most improbable run in baseball. It's the greatest championship run, arguably in all of sports, and I will die on that hill. and let me tell you why. Um, so as we know, the nationals started in 19 to thirty-one. It was dark and dark and miserable times. That's the worst start to the season for any team. It'll be history to ever win the World Series. The last time a team was ever 12 games under 500 to win to make the World Series was in 1924. So in reality, the Nats are the first team to ever be 12 games under 500 and make it to the World Series. The Nationals went 8 and 1 on the road during the postseason. They won their last eight such games. The 96 Yankees, who are arguably the best team in baseball history, are the only other World Series-winning team to match that record. Only one team has won three winner-take-all games in the postseason: the 2019 Nationals. No team has ever trailed in four elimination games in the seventh inning or later and won all of them. The 2019 Nationals trailed in five straight elimination games in the seventh inning or later and won every single game through them. They're the first team in MLB history to do so. Strauss is also the first ever number one overall pick to win the World Series MVP, He's also the first pitcher in postseason history to go 5-0. He's the third pitcher to win five games. None of them lost zero. Rendon, as we saw, he showed up after game two of the NLDS. He's the first player to hit a home run in three straight elimination games. Um, He's also the third player since 1920 with at least five RBIs with his team facing World Series elimination. He had five RBIs in game six. Then Howie Kendrick, the man who redeemed himself so much from his very, very bad starts in the postseason. He's the only player in MLB history with more than one go-ahead home run in the seventh inning or later in elimination games of the same postseason. Kendrick, also, he saw 51 pitches low and away all year long. He had 27 swings and misses. He made contact five times. All five of them were singles hit less than 100 miles per hour. The World Series clinching home run that Howie Kendrick hit was a pitch low and the way outside the zone. It was hit over 100 miles per hour. That is Team of Destiny stuff right there. Yep. Um, yep. The, the greatest run of all time. Their odds of losing all five of those elimination games were also all greater than 80%, I believe. Um, absolutely unreal. Please soak this in. Do not let anyone tell you otherwise or anything. This is the greatest championship run that we've ever seen in sports. Please soak it in. Yeah,
1: it's insane. And it's those tiny things like, and you'll see opposing teams pointed out, like the Nats made the – Trent Grisham in the, uh, the Brewers right fielder like purposely miss a ball or we, we made Dave Roberts like leave Kershaw in the game or like the Nats made all these things happen that went the the Nats way but you can break down any championship run and there's little things that went in favor of the winning team that's just how
2: championships literally runs every are. sport in every championship in the history of ever like right. you need you need luck
1: right exactly like the best teams formed will not always win. Look at the Astros this year. Yes, the Nats beat them in seven. The Nats are clearly the better team, quote-unquote. But, like, the Astros are a very, very solid team, and they did not win. So, it, it, you need these lucky things, these just chance happenings to go your way, and they've never gone the Nats' way before. That's why we've had so much heartbreak throughout the the postseason up until this year this year everything came together it was like everything it was the perfect storm of just perfect happen happenings and to all of the points ryan just mentioned i truly don't remember any team in any sport being as clutch as the nats were this postseason because it feels like they outside of the cardinal series they never really had a lead their leads came in like the seventh inning or later i i I would almost be willing to bet cardinal series aside they trailed more than they were ahead like i I don't have those those numbers in front of me but it certainly felt that way and i mean i'm a dc sports fan minus the redskins for obvious reasons but so I'm just not used to clutch beings, clutch performances. I don't know what they're like. And all of a sudden, I just get smacked in the face with clutch performance after clutch performance. And it, it, you need things like that for a World Series run. And it was just truly one of the best runs I think we will ever see. And I, I truly hope, I know Nat stands well, but I hope all of baseball looks back on this World Series uh As time passes as one of the truly great runs in in baseball history Um, because this was phenomenal was a thing of beauty and I know none of us will ever forget it so it was phenomenal I I can't say enough about it Um, I'm sure like we mentioned we can go on and on and on forever and talk about it but at some point we have to get back to reality (laughs) And it it hit before the parade even happened, which was funny, but also yeah, like,
2: like F you mad Adams. Well,
1: yeah, it was funny, but you're like, well damn. <laughs> um so as Ryan mentioned, just in case you guys were uh in a alcohol induced uh state throughout the weekend, I wouldn't blame you. I know Max Scherzer and Brian Dozier were. Um couple moves of note. <laughs> have been made. The Nats declined the options on Matt Adams, Ryan Zimmerman, Jan Gomes, Steven Strasburg opted out. However, the Nats did pick up the option for Sean Doolittle for six and a half million and for Adam Eaton for nine and a half million. Um for those options who were declined, it doesn't necessarily rule them out. Uh, Zim, I think, was an obvious one. He was due 18 million next year. He's not worth that. He's still, he might be worth it in sentimental value to the team, but as production on the field, he's certainly not close to being worth that. But obviously, I think we all expect him to be back for much less. Uh, Jan Gomes could potentially be back for less.
2: Yeah, there was a Washington um, Post article about Jan Gomes and there's mutual interest. They just didn't want to pay him $9 million, right? So they could have him back for less than none
1: Right, and I'm, I'm just to bring up another example in case we do have some non-Nats fans listening, uh, the Braves just today, they declined options on both Tyler Flowers and Nick Marcakis, but they re-signed them instantly um, just for payroll purposes um, and council less against cap. So there's some strategic moves to be made. Uh, declining the option doesn't mean they're necessarily done. However, I do think Matt Adams is done. Um, he just ha- hasn't been very good, but, We'll always appreciate him for, for this year, and I'm sure he'll never forget it either. Um, but obviously, the big ones. Um, Steven Strasberg opted out. He earned himself a whole lot of cash uh, this offseason. And, and this season alone, I think if, you, if the Nats lose the wild card game, Strasburg's season as a whole is enough for him to want to opt out. I mean, he pitched. He had set career highs in almost everything uh, as far as like length. Game started, innings pitch, all that stuff. Um, But obviously a historic postseason and one of the best postseason pitchers ever will uh, earn you a nice payday. And then obviously we know what Rendon did. Um, So Ryan, how about you enlighten us on kind of where the Nats are with Strauss and Rendon?
2: So if you want to know how much a postseason performance can impact a player's um, value, Nathan DiValdi got the $100 million just for how he pitched on the way to the Red Sox <laughs> in the World that Series. Is and a Nathan DiValdi sucks. He is perfect awful. example. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, Steven Strasberg's going Pablo to Pablo Sandoval, too. Yeah, e- exactly. You, you can go on and on. Um, Steven Strasberg, he's the number two pitching free agent on the market. Um, as we saw Boris Puppet Heyman report, there's a lot of interest on both sides. I, I will be genuinely shocked if Strauss is gone. Um, as we saw from um, Bob Nightingale, who is in the most reliable reporter, but the Nats and Boris had an agreement to work out, you know, exclusively work out contract negotiations before they go anywhere else. So that way the Nats can help set the market. Um, I do think Boris is going to be in a little bit of a rush to get Strauss off the market. Because whatever Strauss gets, Cole is going Cole, to get more. Yep. So that market's going to be set. Um, I fully expect him to get about a six year $180 million contract. Just like the guy, the guy deserves it. And I fully expect him to be back in DC. Um, so keep an eye on that. I think we'll hear more about that in the upcoming days. You know, they've been they've been doing their celebrating and all their tours and everything. So now that it's back to business, we'll hear more. Rendon's the interesting one because that man got himself so much freaking money with the MVP performance of a year and then being absolutely clutch in the playoffs. Um, I don't, I'm not as confident of him being back. We heard that, you know, we, we heard that Rendon came back and counter offered a couple of times over the last couple of years, the Nats counter offered, but they weren't really close. Um, I don't know if they're still close, but I feel like the Nats understand that replacing Rendon is going to be a lot harder than replacing Bryce because, yeah, Bryce was your big guy at the time, but they had Juan Soto, Victor Robles, and Adam Eaton. You don't have anyone in the farm system to replace nope. Anthony Rendon. Um, there's a lot of like different stuff being reported about him. He's buckling. R- Rendon's not signing before February. I guarantee you that right now. Um, he's going to do his typical Boris thing. Ken Rosenthal said that today on MLB Network, that expect to wait with Anthony Rendon because Boris is going to get his smaller clients and potentially Steven Strasburg to sign first and then create a bidding war with Rendon and Cole, like he did with Bryce Harper. Um, I would love for the Nats to have him back for like five or six years, but I think he's going to get, he is going to get close to Arenado money. Like, but like we said, Nathan Evaldi got $100 million in the playoff for just playoff performance. Anthony Radone's probably going to get like 230 over seven years, even though reports are that he wants a short-term, high AAV deal. So, mm-hmm. no idea where Radone sits. That one's going to be a very fascinating story, just because there's not a lot of teams that really need a third baseman, but there are smaller market teams that need a, a big star. Exactly, like you know the Rangers opening up a new stadium this year. You got to usher in a new star, so they're going to be heavy in the mix. The Braves and Phillies will be as well. So it's it's going to be very interesting. The Nats have money, so they're going to be they're going to be very very aggressive on both of these guys.
1: Yeah, um, I think that was a, probably something we should have started with, but we'll touch on it now. Um, the Nats have roughly a hundred million to play with, so you couldn't be in much better of a spot. Uh, as far as wanting to re sign some key guys and potentially add some important pieces in hopes to go back to back. Um, but uh, Strauss yapped it out of four years, 100 million with deferred money. The present day value was like 88 million. So, I mean, he's most likely going to double that with his next contract. So, um, yeah, we saw that one coming. Uh, I had him at six years, uh, 140 million, but I can 100% see more money, and as we know with the Nats, it's going to be deferred. So, yeah, six years, 180. I I could definitely see that. It's going to take him most likely to the end of his career. And we saw the first time he signed the extension, he wanted to do so before he had free agency because he wanted to stay that badly. I don't think any of that's changed. Um, It's just he's opting out because it's procedure, and um, also Boris wants to use Strauss and set the bar so that Cole can beat it, because obviously he's a good agent. He knows what he's doing. And the fact that Strauss wants to stay in all likelihood um, kind of helps him out in that in that regard. The one team I will throw out there, and I'm going to expand on it with Rendon, but I will throw out the Padres. Strauss is from there. Uh, like Ryan said, they're looking for a face. They really want to add that premier Starting pitcher, we know they're not afraid to spend money, as we've seen with Hosmer and Machado. They have a great young core with Tatis, and uh, I'm forgetting the guy they traded for at the deadline. Um, But great young core, exciting team, San Diego. Strauss obviously went to San Diego State, um, and living in San Diego, you could do much, much worse. So I'll throw that out there, but I think you can feel generally good about... Uh, Strauss staying because the Nats have said he's their number one target and uh, they're experienced in dealing with Boris so I'm feeling pretty good about that and Strauss is my favorite player I would it would kill me to see him go anywhere but I'm feeling okay and you know I'm a pessimist. The one I will throw or uh, obviously touch on is Rendon the, the scary thing about Rendon is that his arc with the Nats is essentially complete right team that drafted him um he, he spent so many good years with them and he, he just happened to have a career and in, in his walk here and also win the world series so everything he could have possibly wanted to do with the nats has essentially been done at this point um the the comp i'll throw out there is albert pujols pujols is a cardinals legend he'll probably go in the hall of fame as a cardinal But after they won the World Series, that offseason, he signed with the Angels. And now you could argue the Angels made more sense. They're an AL team. He can play DH, prolong his career, all that stuff. But, I mean, that must have been a huge shock to Cardinals fans when Pujols left. Pujols was that franchise for so long. Um, And obviously he left. And Rendon's a hell of a player, but he's nowhere near as good and as valuable as Pujols was to the Cardinals. This is a business. The team uh, I'll, I'll throw out there, and Ryan, you, you mentioned it, is the Rangers. Um, Anthony Rendon is from Houston. He, he still loves it there. Um, he still reps it all the time. We've seen the pictures of him wearing, like, Texan stuff and what whatever. Um, and while he won't play for the Astros, the, the Rangers are a viable option. They had a very solid season this year, and no one expects them to. They're opening a new ballpark, like Ryan, you said. Um, and they're looking for that face. Anthony Rendon doesn't necessarily want to beat that face, but an opportunity like that in his home state um, could really jump out to him just because he's done what he's wanted to do um, in Washington, and he can feel good about what he's done. And also, like the Pujols thing, Rendon later on in his career can DH without um, like having to play the field. And if he wants a day off, he wouldn't have to sit the bench like he would not in, in the NL. So it, it's tough. I, I don't see – I'm sure like the Dodgers, maybe the Braves and Phillies will, will inquire on him. I don't see a reason for him to really go there. It's not like he's ring chasing. He's already won a ring and, and in the place he wants to. If he wants to ring, win a ring elsewhere, it would be with a team like the Rangers because they're, they're kind of starting fresh. It's his home team um, for all intents and purposes. So that'd be the one to watch. I I think it comes down to Nats and and uh, and Rangers. Both teams have money. Both teams want him badly. So it, we'll see. Um, very nervous about that one. I think uh, it will be different from the Bryce situation, obviously, because Rendon's not looking to like set any records or anything. He just wants to secure his his money, which he it's well deserved, obviously. So we'll see. Uh I'm nervous, but I, I think regardless, he and us Nats fans can be happy about what he's done and what he's brought to this uh to this team. And it'll it'll suck to see him go if he does go, but it's just the reality of it. Alright. So let's uh get this thing back on track, talk more happy things. Um so Well, I guess not so happy because none of them won, but the Gold Glove uh, winners were announced. Um, Soto, Robles, and Rendon were all nominated, all finished as the runner-up. The one I want to talk about is Robles because I think Arenado and David Peralta were kind of the shoe-ins to win in their respective positions. Rendon and Soto had good seasons, but they weren't quite to the level of the winners. Robles, however, was surprising. Lorenzo Kane won, but in every defensive metric that matters, Robles ranked first. So Ryan, explain to me, is the gold glove just becoming a joke at this point and kind of just okay. like an o- offensive award?
2: The gold glove has always been a joke, and I've been trying to tell people this for a long time. The Gold Glove is an offensive award. Like, look at the history of the voters. Like, the coaches vote. Do you really think they see every single freaking play or like, know all these advanced metrics? Like, Aaron is going to win every single freaking year. He's a shoo-in at this point. But, like, Rafael Palmeiro won a Gold Glove playing 15 games at first base. Jeter, I think, won, like, what, seven Gold Gloves? And he's statistically one of the five worst defensive shortstops in MLB history. There's a long, long history. This like one of the people who's nominated for left field played like 80 more games in right field than he did in left field. Like the wards, the wards a joke. Um, I wouldn't lose any sleeper of this whatsoever. The fact that he's nominated his rookie year is outstanding. We saw like how great he was defensively. He matured a lot throughout the year and he got better defensively. We know the metrics, but. The Gold Glove is an offensive award, and anyone can tweet me that disagrees with me because I will argue with every single one of you about this. But yeah, I mean, the Gold Glove is the worst award of all the freaking awards. It makes no sense whatsoever. Like, it just—it's terrible. Um, it doesn't really have what it used to. Doesn't mean anything. Um, Robles, like I said, great defender. Lawrence O'Kane had the better offensive season. Like, it was like the year when Michael Taylor was nominated wasn't nearly as good offensively. Ryan Zimmerman, mm-hmm. the one year he won a gold glove was his best year offensively. Carlos Beltran, when he won his gold glove, he he was an all-star and his was best season offensively. There's a long, long trend like that. And so, until someone has a better offensive year than Arenado, Arenado's going to keep winning it. But yeah, all in all, it's a joke of an award. Do not take right. this award seriously. Right. And it's not to say some
1: people don't deserve it. Like, Arenado is damn good defensive Oh, player. absolutely. Uh, Matt Chapman might be the greatest defensive player of all time. Um, he's a platinum glove. He's probably going to be a two-time platinum glove award winner. Uh, it, it's insane how good he is at third base in the AL for the A's. Um, Zach Greinke won his sixth. He is insanely good. I mean, we saw him put on a clinic in Game 7. He does that all year. Um, so, Some guys deserve it, but there's these other kind of like closer races like center field and the NL where the edge goes to the better offensive guy for whatever reason. A defensive award shouldn't go to an offensive guy. It makes no sense. But, yeah, it's a joke. It's essentially like an all-star vote. Um, Like all-stars are basically just solely offensive numbers. If they incorporated defensive metrics at all, then like, Andrelton simmons would be like an all-star every single year but he's not it's an offensive game it, this is just one of the offensive awards all the awards for the most part are offensive tr- offensively driven and the one defensive award is no uh no different so it sucks for robles i would have liked to see him win but I, i'm sure we will see him win one in the future uh i i will say it, it's good to see locaine um get one but this was should have been Robles's uh, award but just the way it goes um, but speaking of being snubbed uh, we'll get to the the MVP and Cy Young nominations here in a second but being snubbed the NL manager of the year nominations came out and Davey Martinez is not a part of it the nominees were Craig Council of Milwaukee Brian Snicker of the Braves and Mike Schilt of the Cardinals, all far inferior teams to the Nets. But regardless, Davey Martinez, not in there. And, I mean, I get it was voted on in the regular season, so postseason doesn't have any bearing. But Davey was a huge part in bringing this team back from the brink in a 19-31 start. And they finished ahead of the Braves, and the Braves were nowhere near as, uh, as bad as, uh, in the first third of the season as the Nats were, but somehow Craig Council's in there. Makes no sense to me, but Ryan, I mean, I know you and I were both very hard on Davey. We called for his head the first third of the season, and even after that, I think we both have warmed to him since the postseason certainly helped. But what are your thoughts on Davey being left off this list?
2: I was surprised. Um, I I fully expected him to be nominated, um, but Looking at the three, um, Craig Council's in there just because they had a great year, held everything together, just because, you know, when Yelich went down and then the Braves, their great season they had, usually when you have a young team that coasts throughout the entire year, you're going to be nominated. Like, Or even if you're a first-year manager and you win a crap ton of games, even if you have, like, a $300 million roster, like, you know, Dave Roberts did with the Dodgers. It wasn't $300 million, but you guys get the point. Um, but I was, I was really surprised because this team was 19-31. And, and, like, Davey really, really shined once October hit. And so I guess maybe they're like, eh, you know, he only got a wild card berth. To me, uh, this says that the Riders put more of an emphasis on the Nats' turnaround, on the fact that they got their roster healthy and on their superstars than uh-huh. uh, the impact that they thought Davey had, which I feel like is really stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, like I've, I'm very, I've been very, very outspoken about Davey. You guys know mm-hmm. how I've thought about him. Obviously, you won a World Series. I'm going to love you till the end of time. But I, I'm, I'm very shocked. I, I fully expect him to be nominated for this award. Right.
1: And the, the nice thing is we definitely know Davey's the type of guy that this doesn't bother him. That he, he, he got, got the snub. word that
2: matters.
1: Right, exactly. Like, Obviously, yes, he would have been very humbled and honored to have been nominated and possibly to have won, but this isn't something he's going to lose sleep over. He did a damn good job in the postseason, and that's really all that matters. I mean, you can be an absolute schmuck in the regular season, but if you can turn it on for the postseason like he did, uh, that's really all that matters. Do enough to get to the postseason and take your team from there, and that's exactly what Davy did. Uh, I, I truly, truly believe, and this is not biased that I I believe he's the NL manager of the year and arguably even the manager of the year. Uh, I, I understand Kevin Cash in Tampa and Aaron Boone in New York, uh, did great things in the AL, but Davey had everything against him, all the pressure on him, people calling for his head, uh. Like Kevin Cash and Aaron Boone, they had nothing but praise pretty much all season for the jobs they are doing and well-deserved too. But Davey had so much adversity from the start and probably well-deserved. But, I mean, he held it together. He did not lose composure. Uh, he just did a, a great job. So it sucks that he got snubbed. But uh, I, I think we all see him as the manager of the year in our eyes. Um, but the final two awards, we have Rendon, uh, as an MVP finalist with Bellinger and Yelich, and Max as a Cy Young fa- finalist with um, Ryu and DeGrom. Uh, we can keep it short and to the point we've talked about this before, but Ryan, do you think either of these guys win?
2: No, absolutely love them, but no, ne- neither guy wins. Um, it's it's Cody Bellinger's award. I mean, he had a freaking nine war. Uh, if Christian Yelich didn't get hurt, it's his award. I think when Darren comes in second, well-deserved for him. He's not going to win. And I think Max comes in third. He missed too much time. And Jacob deGrom was way too dominant over the entire season to lose that award. Mm -hmm. So deGrom, Bellinger, again, no. I mean, love both of them Um, would love for them to win, but I don't realistically seeing it happen.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Um both are arguably deserving of it. That's why they're finalists. Uh, I think Rendon has more of a case to win his award than Max does. Max is essentially Max is essentially in there for like that month and a half stretch he had in like June um which was insanely good, but he over the last like month and a half that he pitched, obviously we know he was dealing with injury, but it was not Cy Young caliber whatsoever. But that that dominant stretch was good enough to get him in there. Um, I, I do think it's DeGrom's award. Uh, he's just insanely good. He had like three bad starts to start the year, and then he just quietly ha- had like another insanely good
2: uh, good year. I mean, so I, I think his, it's his. His war was eight, and he had a 2-4 ERA. Like his year was just unreal again. And yep. he is why, um, what's his name, from New York, got hired as a pitching coach so quickly. Actually, I mean, Sorry, yeah, I'm Mickey not, Callaway. I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna get too far off, but yeah, right. it's it's the grounds award.
1: Yeah, um, insane, just insane. Uh, both great years, but I don't think either of them, um, take it home. I think I would give my vote to Yelich just because he was actually insane too, and Bellinger kind of fell off after the first like quarter of the year, but all deserving in in both uh, aspects. Um. And like we said with David, that's Rendon, Max, they got the award that really matters. And I don't think either of them would uh would trade that for awards, uh individual awards like they're nominated for here. So they got the one that counts and that's all that matters. They can win every argument for the rest of their life. Alright, so next up we have our Twitter questions, but before we move on to that, I just want to take this time and uh, kind of get sappy on you guys, um, just say thank you for supporting us, this has been a phenomenal uh, first year doing this podcast, obviously, can't argue with the outcome, right?
2: Literally um, cannot have been the more perfect year, all the drama.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so much to talk about, and obviously uh, the World Series is just icing on the cake, Um, but we couldn't do it without you guys. Uh, You guys have been great. We're only looking to build upon what we've started. We're going to be doing shows all throughout the off season. Uh, We're going to be expanding to all of baseball. Um, So definitely plenty of content to stay uh, and and listen for, and we'll be doing more interactive stuff and whatnot. But again, from all of us here, including Amanda, even though it seems like she's never here anymore, she's too good for us. Thank you. We're definitely going to keep going all off season, plenty to talk about. And uh, it's just, it's just really been great. Like obviously the Nats winning the world series is, is phenomenal, but I think we all have a blast during this podcast and we want to keep going. So we will all off season long, baby.
2: Eat at your local chilies.
1: Eat at your local chilies. Support your Terry. All right. So let's move on to our fan appreciation segment every week and Twitter questions. Mm-hmm. And a fitting one to start off with from at one lovely lady. See what payroll is available? What money is coming off the books? And does that include any deferred payments being down? So we so, kind of touch on this a uh, hundred million. And I believe what worth came off the books officially.
2: Yeah. Hold on. Um, give me one second. Um, our best fault. Our, our best listener. I mean, I, I love all you guys, but she's amazing. Um, she lives tweets the shows so if you haven't seen anything seen it, I uh, highly recommend, but yeah, like we talked about, there's roughly hundred two million. They can save more money if they non tender Havigera, Wilmer Defo, and Michael Taylor, and I can save them about eight million. I think they have twelve people on their roster, and no one's really going to get that big of a pay increase, so they have a lot of freaking money and they, uh, they got room for it. They just won the big World Series run. So clearly they got X revenue. They got Masson coming in. Um, mm-hmm. um, this is a really good question. But to touch on the deferred payments, they only have 2 million in deferred payments this year, which is pretty good because Joe Blanton's gone. Worth's gone. Um, they're only paying 2 million. million. Soriano, right? Sip. Sorry. Yeah. Sor- Rafa- Rafael Soriano's getting to 2 million right now. Um, Tony Sip, they're paying him 2.5 million next year for to be in the minor system, um, just for the way that that was rolled out. So their payroll right now is looking at 105 million uh, for the AAV. Um, it's 100 million without, 105 with the AAV. So they have a lot of freaking money to play with, more than they've had in a long time.
1: Right, for sure. I mean, with Strauss and Rendon hitting the market, you could not ask for a better cap situation. And Zim coming off. Uh, and, yeah, and Zim coming off. Um, you could not ask for a better cap situation to go out and get some high, high-priced high free agents, uh, even if they are your own. Um, so... As far as the cap goes, it's in a perfect spot to re-sign both Strauss and Rendon. It's just yep. more on the players than, than the team. The team will spend the money and they have the money to spend and space to spend. So good on that. Um, I mean, you could shell out, what, $30 million AAV for Strauss and even $30 million for Rendon if you wanted to, and you still have $40 million, million to play with. Yeah, to yeah. play with. Um, yeah, 40 to like 48 if you non-tender some guys. Uh, and obviously those, you you can work with with everything else and structuring deals and whatnot. So great space to be in. Uh, we'll definitely get into that um, once free agency really kicks off. Uh, I, I believe it's like December 1st is when it really starts to heat up and winter meetings and such. So around that time, we'll, we'll really get into salary cap and off-season targets and whatnot. All right, next question from at Soto Season. Let's say you can only keep one, Strauss or Rendon. Would you rather sign Strauss and then someone like Donaldson or Moose, Mike Mousakis, or would you rather sign Rendon and sign someone like Zach Wheeler or Jake Odorizzi for the rotation? This is a great question.
2: Yeah, this is a really good question. Like we said, they're in a place where they can afford both, but that's not how businesses work. Um, Mm -hmm. If I had to pick one... I, I would pick Strauss. If you look at the, the construction of the NL East, the NL East is based around pitching. Um, the top five pitchers in the NL are all basically in the NL East. The Mets rotation's legit. Um, the Braves have some really great young studs. The Nats rotation, as we saw, is legit. And then also Aaron Nola from the Phillies. So this is a division that wins with pitching. And I'm also a really big guy on pitching. Um, Mm. pitching wins in October, it's going to win you games. If this was like the AL East where the division is constructed around offense, Offense, I would say Rendon. But the fact that this is a pitching first division, um, you have to go Strauss. It sucks because Soto and Rendon were the best 3-4 combo in baseball. But I love me Strauss. I love me pitching.
1: Yep. Um, I also think I agree with you. I agree with that answer. I also think it's a bigger drop off from Strauss to someone like Wheeler Odorizzi, or than it is from Rendon to someone like Mustakis,
2: or even um, like Donaldson. Look at the numbers, Donaldson right. last year. Like he was yeah great.
1: exactly. Um, and I think statistically, it's more likely to get good production post age thirty four from a pitcher than it is a position player. Agreed. So if you want to if you want to play that game. It's more safe or safer to give a longer con- or a long-term contract to Strauss than it is Rendon. Um, but even though we both agreed it's harder to replace Rendon uh, just because you don't have anyone on the farm and the free agent prospects aren't exactly great behind Rendon, I, I would still go Strauss. They also don't um, have any
2: good pitching prospects either.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, so I, I think I-, I would go Strauss here as well. Um uh, and hopefully someone like donaldson or moose so it's not a huge drop off from rendone but i would love to sign both i hope they do sign both
2: oh um all right go ahead. sorry the wheeler oderizzi comment I forgot this earlier, but Heyman said that Strauss was oh, the biggest right. priority, and they're also mm-hmm. looking at Mad Bum and Wheeler. So, like, super rotation! Sorry, I yeah, didn't to throw that in
1: there. I mean, the Mets in, like, 2015 or whatever it was, loved to, to throw out the rotation of aces type thing, and that was including Steven Matz. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, if the Nats re Stras Strauss and sign Mad Bum, I, I think Ryan, you're in agreement with me. There's no holding us back. We're going to be so obnoxious all season <laughs> long. Uh I mean they're two of the best postseason pitchers in history on the same team. Oh man, we are going to be so obnoxious. Um I, I would think to be realistic for a second, I would think Mad Bum and who's the other one? Wheeler yeah. would be options if they don't resign sign Strauss for whatever reason, I, I don't think maybe if Rendon signs elsewhere and they miss out on kind of the, the second tier guys like Donaldson and Moose, maybe they just throw that money into the rotation and they do build a super rotation, but I don't see it as a option a necessarily. Um, but it's definitely cool that they're kicking the tires on it and they're not taking a season off after winning it all. They're still hungry. So that's cool. Um, Speaking of an area that they really need to address, at RG300 mm-hmm. says, what bullpen arms do
2: you want? I mean, so, one big one, right? Yeah. um, I have two people on my wish list. Ooh, two. Two That's people. Twice as many. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, we, We've talked about how important Strauss and Rendon are. They're 1A, 1B. Daniel Hudson's right there as number two. Agreed. Agreed. Um. I think the Nats absolutely have to resign him. The dude does not give up runs when there's runners on, which is so valuable on the bullpen and he has balls of steel. But their biggest weakness in the bullpen right now is the lack of a dominant lefty arm outside of Sean Doolittle. Good thing Luckily, for the there's Nats. one available. <laughs> there is one who's an elite closer. Um, he can pitch the 7th, 8th, or ninth inning. Lefties hit below 150 on them and have an OPS below 600. And also righties struggle hitting off him. His name is Will Smith, and I want him just as bad as I want Strauss, Rendon, and Hudson. Like The dude fixes so many problems. Oh, hey, you have a big moment in the 7th inning with three lefties against the Dodgers? Go get him, Will Smith. Uh, Do Little pitch two nights in a row you need a close? Go get him, Will Smith. It's the mm-hmm. sixth inning. You just want to rub it in. You have Will Smith. Go get him, Will Smith. This guy is so freaking good, and I need him on my team so badly.
1: And plus, instead of uh, the baby shark thing that has run its course and then some, we can replace it with uh, the Fresh fresh, fresh, yeah, fresh, Prince of Bel-Air theme song. <laughs>
2: oh, and the um, most important part about him. I'm so sorry, Nick. I no, I prepared fine. this earlier. Um Elias should never face a lefty again in his life. Lefties have an OPS over one against him. So also the Nats have a lefty they can trust and use Elias just when they're getting blown out. Okay, and anyway, yes. You're good. <laughs>
1: um and I, I really think signing Will's well if assuming you sign Hudson, signing Will Smith after that only increase like makes the, the Hudson signing better. Because he oh, yeah. hates closing. He does it. Out of necessity and he's not like a little insert word here that you uh, can't use because it's a family podcast, but it, he, <laughs> he 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 does what he's told and he, he just does it re- whether he likes it or not but Will Smith is a dominant closer you, If you sign him, you sign him to close ball games, and that only increases Hudson's value so I think yes, you need to sign Hudson, but once you get Hudson, you need to do everything you can to to sign will Smith. If if we can re-sign Strauss, Rendon one A one B like you said, and then Hudson and Smith, and then fill out the rest of our roster with some guys in the farm on prove it, like prove it chances, and some guys like Isdrubel Cabrera on like the minimum or whatever, I'm perfectly happy with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, as we saw in the postseason, Corbin had the face lefties that will be gone. But we talked about the uh, we haven't talked about this year, but. Everyone talked about the law firm when it was Kinsler, who I miss very dearly, uh, Doolittle, <laughs> and Matson before he sucked. You want to know what a good three-headed monster is in the bullpen? Uh, healthy Sean Doolittle, Daniel Hudson, and Wilson. And Swearow. Swero. <laughs> and <laughs> Swero. <laughs> um, get rid of Hunter Strickland also. Don't include them in the bullpen. But, like, those three, if you, if you have a dominant rotation – Oh my God, the Bolton would be a legit strength going into the year.
1: It's funny because I'm pretty sure I didn't see Strickland or Elias for that matter anywhere around like the, the parade or the White House visit or anything like that. They were, sure they were banned. like... Yeah, they were just like straight up banned. Like I even saw Rodney on one of the, the, the buses at the parade. <laughs> and uh, I mean, he, he I think he's done now. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah you didn't see Strickland or Elias around <laughs> any of that. Uh, but they get a ring, so does Trevor Rosenzal, Tony Sip, and uh, Kyle Bearclaw, but whatever. All right, next question from at the Rally Mullet, who uh, could be a future guest in 10 20 quick. What were the Nats' stats batting with two outs in elimination games? Talk about something that uh, gets, uh, gets you going, if you know what I mean.
2: Um, so as everyone knows, I'm stack stat guy. I love numbers. Big um, stat guy. Huge stat guy. I throw you guys stats all the time. These were stats that I could not find, and I'm so good at finding stats. Um, I feel like if I take the time tomorrow, I can probably <laughs> find them, but I like looked for like a couple minutes today, and I couldn't find it. So, Rally Mullet, if you're listening to this, I love you, man. Um, everyone who is listening to this, I'm so sorry I don't have them, but basically, they batted a 1,000 with runners and two outs in uh, scoring position because... It- Yep, they I just scored checked like that pack runs. is correct. Yeah. They, uh, uh, they didn't hit home runs. They scored with two outs. Um, that's how you win the World Series. It's it's that simple.
1: Yep. And, uh, I mean, kind of a, something that goes along with this. If you look at Rendon's at-bats in the seventh inning or later in postseason games, holy crap, the dude actually did not get out. He got on base it was like it was like homer double walk walk homer double walk like he was the definition of clutch and the jokes were like his heart rate was three like three beats per minute which actually might have been the case because the dude literally does not feel pressure whatsoever uh he has ice in his veins you got to be sure he's not dead at certain points because he is just automatic um, when the game's on the line. So give him all the money, please. Um, all right.
2: Final two questions from at M. Davis oh Taylor. God. What? I'm so sorry. I just got a notification on my phone that someone got stabbed over a Popeye's chicken sandwich in Oxen Hill. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I had right. to share that with everyone. <laughs>
1: PG County pg county all right final questions of the night from at m davis taylor friend of the pod monty uh first what's your single favorite memory from the regular season so regular season not not uh not postseason
2: so this this is a really good question um i like don't want to be basic and say the comeback against the mets but like there was so much worth that game. You know, they had a chance to put away the Mets and they dropped game one. I can't remember if that was game three or not. They're in a little bit of a skid. They saw their wildcard lead fade away and then that massive monster ninth inning, uh, capped off by the walk-off by Kurt Suzuki. Um, I wanna say that, but I don't think I'm going to. Um, I'm gonna go with just the fact on that it never really happens and it's different, um, I'm going on the four uh, back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back home run game against the Padres.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was crazy, crazy, crazy. And it, I, I can't remember who the four were. Was it Eaton, Rendon, Soto, Howie? Is that who it was?
2: I want to say yes.
1: I, I think it was because I think I remember – I definitely remember Eaton and Howie, and if it was those two, it would make sense that it was Soto and Rendon as well. Um, but like you, I want to go to the comeback. I think that is the best moment. But to give another answer kind of that you, you don't always hear, I'm going to go with the Para Grand Slam. Um, Para was more of like an emotional uh, addition to the clubhouse rather than like an offensive or defensive addition. Um, he was serviceable, but it wasn't overwhelming in either regard but that grand slam kind of especially like his first or second game with the Nats really was part of turning the season around um it just made you believe that like it wasn't all like lost with a terrible bullpen that if we could put up enough runs we could survive a bad bullpen especially with the starting pitching we have so that that was a great one um i mean Baby Shark, I could do without, but obviously the fans loved it. And I think, Ryan, you would agree that the fans this year have been extremely impressive after multiple years of just kind of being embarrassed to be associated with them. They were great this year, especially during the postseason, and Baby Shark and Power had a lot to do with that. So I think the Grand Slam kind of has a, a big part in that. All right. So, last question. We kind of touched on it already, but I'll change it up a little bit. Besides bringing back Hudson, who should the Nets' number one bullpen target be? Um, so, let's say a uh, piece of news that we didn't touch on: Aroldis Chapman extended in New York, so he will not be a free agent. Let's say we bring back Hudson. Will Smith signs elsewhere. Someone else throws him a lot of money, like let's say the Red Sox. Um, so, Will Smith is gone. Aroldis Chapman is gone. We still probably need a dominant closer. Who's our option then?
2: Um, outside of them, the relief market's kind of weak. Yeah, it's um, not great. God, I'm really looking at it right now. it's so bad. Um, you have <laughs> you have Batances. there's 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 a lot of risk with him, but he kind of fits like the whole mm-hmm. mantra that Mike Grizzo loves, those bounce back hands from people who miss a lot of time for injury because you can get them for cheap um, and just pray to God you get the back end of the reward. We saw that with Rosenthal, we seen it before. So Batansis will be someone I would look at. Also someone um I still miss him and love him, but bring back Brandon Kinsler, it won't happen. But like his numbers are good. And then even a guy like Darren O'Day, um, someone you know, get some veteran mm-hmm. experience, people who are gonna be consistent, you know their role, and not do the freaking uh just slap the button, hey you could be a relief pitcher, go get him champ right. kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Um, if we miss out on Will Smith, it's a huge drop off to like the next best option. Um, so I don't know if there is like a number one target. It's just like you kind of got to figure out what pieces fit with what you need. Like we'd probably still need a lefty who's good against lefties and probably like another uh, power arm because Rainey can't is a power arm, but he's more wild than effective on most outings. Not that he can't get there. It's just Yeah, once, that's once what he, he is devolves, right now, he's going to be good. Right. Um, So two names I want to throw out there. They're not sexy names whatsoever, but one is Jake Diekman. We saw him dealt at the deadline prior to the deadline, so the Nets didn't get a chance to really get him, but he's a lefty who's great against lefties, so he serves that role well. He'll be cheap. Another one who's kind of like the reclamation project that we saw with Trevor Rosenthal, um, but hopefully would obviously turn out better than Trevor Rosenthal, is uh, Jeremy Jeffress. We saw him part of that dominant brewers uh big 3 last season when the brewers made their run he was actually closing games for them instead of hater um but he had an injury plague season this year so he could be a a big bounce back candidate and he will take a prove it deal in order to get that bigger payday um after uh hopefully healthy season and productive season in 2020. So I I think a combination of two people like that could uh, fill in for losing out on Will Smith. Obviously not as great. You would rather Will Smith, but some combination like that, two guys that are effective in one facet of bullpenning uh, could get the job done and obviously would have to, would spare you from having guys like Rosenthal, Sip, Bearclaw, Rodney in your bullpen. So Something to look out for. All right, so that does it for Twitter questions. And normally at this point, we would do like final thoughts, tell you thank you, and the pod. But we have uh, something exciting we want to do. We are officially announcing award season on the podcast. It's award season in the MLB. We see people winning. We see the nominees. We're going to do awards of our own. So breaking news here, we are officially announcing awards, and I'm going to give you the categories right now and some nominees so let's see where to start where to start okay so kind of talked about it so the first category for a heater is game of the year we have the four home runs back to back to back to back like ryan said we have the max broken nose game the comeback uh we all know what we're talking about and the par grand slam that's kind of a tough one i actually don't know what i would go there next one we have take of the year and this is a take that someone on the podcast we won't name names but someone on the podcast gave and it just i mean hindsight's 2020 but take of the year first nominee adam eaton sucks adam eaton sucks second nominee fire davy martinez
2: fire David
1: <laughs> third nominee fire sale at the deadline sell them all <laughs> and fourth nominee the NASA will get swept by the Dodgers and the NLDS can't imagine whoever would have said that alright moving on to the next heater award we have an exciting one we have twitter account of the year oh man this is going to be contentious First nominee at One Lovely Lady C. Frequent guest. She,
2: she's the heavy favorite going into the heavy World Heavy favorite. Heavy she's favorite. She's like the Astros heading into the World Series.
1: Right. But as we see, the heavy favorite doesn't always... Second nominee, we have Kai and all of his accounts. Uh, I think right now it's Land of Kai, if I'm not mistaken. But he's well deserving. Does a laugh at the pod. Third, we have... The self-proclaimed official heater himself, Nat's Post. I think that's is still, at, it's like world champion Nat's Post right now. Yeah. thing, but very well-deserved. And the dark horse in the competition, our fourth nominee, is one Margaret Crowley.
2: Margaret. Um, oh, man. My absolute favorite account on Twitter. I love her to death. It makes my day when she tweets me her emojis laughing at stuff I say. Or when she calls me out when I'm on my BS. Absolutely love her. But there's no bias in these awards. Um, we're wearing tuxedos when we're going to Chili's. So we're very excited about this. But that brings us to Nat of the Year. This is my favorite category. Um, we got the one, the only. Fernando Rodney, the eighth manning legend himself. Um, we got Tony Sip, the other legend, who just couldn't get anyone out to save his life. We got Bear Claw, the claw. Um I don't have anything on him. He sucks. And then we have the best player for the Nats, who all joking aside, like they're the reason why they sucked in the year, but they're also probably not in this spot right now if they don't get rid of him. So he's the true MVP of this year. That is Trevor Rosenthal. Whew
1: talk about contentious. I mean, you could have a real case for all of them. Even Rodney, who survived long enough to see himself win a ring. Officially (laughs) win a ring, because technically they all get rings for for being on the team at some point during the season. Alright, so that was Nat of the Year. This is Natitude of the Year. And kind of just like our team MVP. The obvious ones, but we'll run through them because it is a heater award and is the most desirable of all Awards in baseball, including the World Series, um, and that is first nominee Juan Soto, second nominee Anthony Rendon, third nominee Maximus Scherzer, fourth nominee Stephen James Strasburg. Anybody's race. I mean, solid case for any of them, and we include postseason in this in this uh, debate. So we will see. All right. And kind of a, another fun one that we haven't really touched on, but we'll do moment of the postseason. Plenty of them, but we'll kind of go more... Like, because obviously clenching is is, is great, but it, it's not the moment you think of. So let, let's give the top four. Soto, his hit in the wildcard game. The Howie Grand Slam game five against the Dodgers. Eaton and Soto going yard. In game six to give us the lead and how he's home run in game seven all of them well-deserving all of them great chance to be the moment of the postseason all of them i mean are great moments of the postseason so phenomenal there all right so ryan you not you tell him about uh let's call it stand of the year
2: yeah so the stand of the year is gonna go we're gonna tell you four moments from the leavers who showed absolute resilience against all odds so we got sean Doolittle against the Mets before tom fraser hit the walk-off we got the aaron barrett meltdown before um, sorry against the braves i was in attendance at that one god he sucks uh, we have every single trevor rosenthal outing and then on here again it was a really rough stretch for him um <laughs> The whole
1: year, actually.
2: (laughs) We have the Sean Doolittle meltdown against the Brewers, which led to the epic, like, 17-inning game. So those are four nominees for Stan of the Year.
1: Absolute resilience. We would not be here without them. So hopefully one of them uh, wins this very coveted award. Um, Similar to that award, we have Play of the Year. Um, This is obviously a defensive gem something we will remember forever um, and it is all centered around the best defensive guy we have Jan Gomes um, hopefully we'll see him back in the future one Jan Gomes get cross gets crossed up by Max Scherzer Two, Jan Gomes gets crossed up by Steven Strasburg three Jan Gomes gets crossed up by Patrick Corbin Four, Jan Gomes gets crossed up by Anibal Sanchez I mean, I don't even know, man. Just absolute gems from all of them. He calls a phenomenal game. I hope he's back in the future. Uh, Jan Gomes is our king. Uh, and it, it seems like he's the heavy favorite one way or another to win this award. So credit to Jan Gomes for a phenomenal season. All right. So we have two final awards that we want to give our nominations for. Ronnie, you want to tell him about Guest of the Year?
2: Yeah, so this is our award to honor all of our our wonderful guests um, that we had on the year. We love every single one of them. You guys did as well. We had some really good, um, we had some really good interviews on here. So we're gonna we're gonna have a little competition. Who's it gonna be? So we are going to we love all four of our guests very much. So we're gonna have, um, we're gonna send a text to all four of them and then whoever responds first is gonna be crowned that Half Street Heater Guest of the Year. So we have two-time uh, guest, Tom Sleo. We have two-time guest from the Washington Post, Sam Fortier, um, and then we have one-time guest who came at us live from South Beach, who's a great interviewer. I could talk to the man all day long, Jesse Doherty. Um, great guy. And then our fourth guest from 106.7 The Fan, you hear his voice. He did some games during the Nats. Uh, sorry, did some PA games for the Nats. He also does the the sports updates for CBS. During commercial breaks, that is the great Pete Medhurst. This is for heavyweights, not to humble brag, but we got some freaking great interviewers, interviewees this year. So uh, it's gonna be a good time.
1: Yeah, I love this award because, obviously, we love all our our guests. There can only be one winner, but we would love all of them. And this really validated us as a podcast, the fact that these great, successful journalists and radio guys were willing to take the time out of their day to, to talk to us. Um, so they love us. We love them. It's phenomenal. Can't wait to see who wins. Um, and we have the perfect setup where whoever replies first, that's our best friend, and that's the guest of the year. <laughs> Makes total sense. All right. So, final award of the year, it's going to be an all-out bloodbath, but we have host of the year. We have Amanda. We have Ryan. And we have myself. I mean, could be anyone's game. Uh, I would think there's a- The gloves are off slight edge to uh, to someone, I'm just going to say someone probably ahead of the rest. I mean, that someone did uh, predict uh, the Nats in 7 when no one else did, so just want to say that. But those are our 10 categories. Uh, voting will be on Twitter, but some votes we're just going to handle internally, just because, I mean, we make the rules here. But be sure to Check out Half Street High Heat Twitter for all the latest news and notes. Um, follow Ryan and I at DC Natchak. Follow Amanda at AY7877 uh, and the show at Half Street High Heat. Uh, we will be doing the official heater awards next episode, so be sure to check that out. Uh, but Ryan, any final thoughts, thoughts before we head out?
2: Um, no. Um, if you guys are as excited as I am for the heaters, um, rent a Tux. Or, you know, get some pearls. Completely up to you. Um, go to your local Treat Chili's, yourself. Get a frozen strawberry margarita. Tune in. It's going to be exciting. I just rented a tux. I'm very excited for it. And may the best man or woman win.
1: It's going to be great. And there's no place better to do it than, than, than Chili's. I love Chili's. It's the perfect place for, for a banquet like this. Ooh, excuse me. I'm just thinking about jellies. My mouth is salivating there a little bit. All right. So from Ryan and myself and Amanda, vicariously, thank you. And we will see you later.
0: As the Nationals are a strike away from franchise history and some World Series history. As Hudson tries to close it out. It'll be another 3-2 pitch to Michael Brantley. Hudson sets the kick and here it comes. Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! Swing and a miss! And a World Series Game 7 winning Curly W is in the books. The celebration is on! The Washington Nationals are the World Champions! Remember where you are, so you remember where you are right now at 11.50 Eastern Time. Remember where you are on October 30th, 2019, when the Washington Nationals finish the fight. From the depths of a forgettable 19 and 31 start, they have climbed to the top of baseball's highest peak giving us all a finish to a season we will remember for the rest of our lives the nationals celebrate just behind the pitcher's mound a world championship curly w is in the books the nationals down to nothing six unanswered runs they beat the astros six to two they are the world champions of baseball unbelievable